Welcome to Get Down to College Business. We will identify strategies that could make the difference between keeping university doors open and closing them for good. I'm pulling in business experts and higher ed leaders to debate the merits of strategies that could save the future of higher ed. I'm your host, Sarah Holton, PhD. Let's get down to college business. Hi, everyone. This is Sarah Holton and your host. I'm joined today by Kevin Gilligan, the district manager of Sodexo. Sodexo is a food and facilities service company, and Kevin oversees the food services at a number of colleges and universities in Wisconsin. Kevin, welcome. We're so excited to have you here today. Oh, thank you. Great to be here. So inflation and food shortages, we all know, right? If we go to the grocery store, they are driving the cost of food up. Earlier this year, Virginia Tech announced that it would need to increase the prices of the meal plans to cover added costs. So what does that mean for other schools? Will increases in meal plans become our new norm? And if so, how much can we expect to pay going forward? So Kevin is here today to kind of walk us through some of that. Kevin, let's start with where prices of food stand now. If you could, break down for the audience the specific expenses. Right. So, I mean, food, no matter if you're looking at the grocery store or on your college campus, it's not just the cost of food, right? There's transportation, there's supply chain, there's labor, which is a significant part of it. And it's grown. As of the May report, we follow uh, what we call CPI, and specifically in, in some locations, we follow CPI Midwest. And if you look at the May report, which always comes out mid-month of June, you're looking at about 7.8% increase. And that takes into account every aspect of what it costs to put that food on the plate. Right. And so what would be some of the variables that are driving all this up? If you could just outline for the audience specifically in a little more depth. Sure. Yeah. If you look at supply chain, for instance, you may not have availability of the entire variety that you would normally have at any given time. It may be more expensive if there's not as much out there, supply and demand economics, right? So if there's less out there, the price is going to go up. The labor for production has probably grown faster than the food costs in many aspects. So just the people who produce the food that you're purchasing, the people who work for Purdue or some of the other chicken companies, the cost has gone up. Transportation, price of gas, price of fuel plays a factor into what we end up paying in the end. So have you seen any regional differences? You know, is the East Coast getting hit harder than, say, the Midwest or the South? Or tell us about, like, location. Yeah, absolutely. How we track that is called fill rate, right? So if we work with our food providers, the percentage at which they can fulfill our orders is kind of how we track that. The coast had a much more difficult time than the Midwest. So in the Midwest, we dipped at least from our experience, is probably to about a 65 to 70% fill rate. There were some down in the 30 to 40% on the East Coast to the point where it's lessened now. It's not as big of an issue now, but it's still a concern as we all try to recover from COVID. And tell me, do you have any predictions going forward? I mean, is this kind of where food prices are going? Are we going to continue to see an uptick or do you think it'll level off or even retract a bit? Yeah, it's, it's got to come down, right? Everything's got to come down. It's not just the food market, the real estate market. Everything in general has gone up. The prediction would be that it would come back to normal. A typical year of inflation, especially when it comes to college meal plans, is you're looking at a two to three and a half percent, somewhere in there. What we've been experiencing the last 15 to 18 months is unheard of. In some cases, as much as eight, nine, 10 percent changes in the cost of a meal plan. 
So our prediction would be that it would come back down, it would level off as suppliers can get back to their normal routines as people come back to work, hopefully, and wages level off. The price will go down, but it's not going to increase as fast. Okay, so maybe there's some glimmer of hope on the horizon, because I think that's what's scary for a lot of us is just when will it end? It's not just, okay, right now we're absorbing the extra costs, but is this just forever? And then that's almost unaffordable, right? It starts to kind of push us into a different price point that makes things inaccessible for us. Yeah, and I think it's just as we normalize to the new costs, right? So wages catch up with costs. Again, it's not going to go down. If prices go down, they're not going to take an hourly wage. They're not going to reduce your hourly wage or reduce your salary. They're just going to normalize it, and then it seems to be leveling off, but the price is still So it's more of a perception. It's more of a perception. Okay, that's good to know for us. You had mentioned kind of the coast getting hit hard, and I know the East Coast in particular, if you're reading up on the news, you know, I've watched several schools announce plans to increase meal plans by about 100 to 200 per semester. So if you think of the average residential campus with a lot of students living on campus, each semester is going up 100 to 200 per semester. So that's a few hundred extra dollars per year for these students to absorb. However, no matter where you live, you could live on campus or off campus, you still need to eat. Your food prices are going up no matter what. So this is not like unique to campus plans, right? So students are going to face increased food costs whether or not they opt in or out of meal plans or live on campus and have a meal plan. Walk us through the factors under consideration for a food service company to determine whether or not to raise the prices of meal plans. Like when does it become a tipping point for your company to say, hey, okay, we just got to do this. We can't keep eating the costs ourselves. Yeah. And it's a delicate balance, right? So the first thing we have to think about is value. What's the value to the student to have a meal plan versus shop on their own? I take my personal life into account every time I go through one of these conversations with a campus. The $100 to $200 you mentioned, that 5 to 10% on a typical campus of an increase, that's a lot for a student. But if you think about what you've done in the grocery store, you know, I have a family of four and I went from 175 to 200 a week to now 225 to 250. It's a 28 to 30% increase in what I was spending a week. What we do with the campuses, I would say 100 to 200 is probably conservative and they probably made some other changes to their program, right? So how do we balance the costs increase of labor and food? Well, we look at hours of operation. We look at the overall program and try to find the peak value for the students, right? What are they willing to give up, so to speak, in order to keep the cost down? Tell us more about that. Like, what are some of the strategies you've seen campuses do to mitigate that expense, like even from a user behavior standpoint or other ways? Yeah. One of the most successful is to work with the students, right? So one of the locations I used to work at, we had a student advisory committee for the dining program. And we put them in a room and say, guys, here's your budget, right? Everyone wants more hours. You want different foods. Here's the list of things people are asking for. Here's the budget you have. Here's a white, here's your buckets, but you can only spend this bag of nickels. The bag of nickels doesn't get bigger. It doesn't get smaller. This is what you have to spend. And really getting their input and seeing what they're willing to, how would they do it if it was their program, which it is. 
I love that. It's like you're starting with the actual user. Yeah, absolutely. And then you're helping facilitate a process in which they become kind of the solution makers for this. Like, what are we actually willing to do versus, I mean, if I think about what I would make somebody do, it might be very different than what people are willing to do. So what have been some of the creative ideas they've come up with that you've seen? Big thing today is reusable to-go containers, right? Paper costs is a piece that not everybody thinks about, right? The cost of a to-go container. Yes, I sure don't think about uh, that. I right. got to be honest, right? So when you factor the price of a meal at, let's not to name, think of your favorite restaurant, when you, your to-go restaurant, you have to think there's cost to that paper product. And typically a clamshell sustainable to-go container on a college campus can run you 30 to 40 cents added to your product cost, depending on which one you're using. Well, what we did is we wanted to introduce reusable to-go containers, and we worked with the student government and got them on board. And what they decided to do, this was their idea, not ours, is to implement a sort of syntax, so to speak, that anybody who didn't use the reusable to-go container and still wanted the paper had to pay for that container as part of their meal swipe. I think that's genius. And it funded the program. It funded replacement containers, and it really made the student body buy into the program. I love that. And because it's also connected to some of our values about sustainability. I think about like even so much of the world has gone away from plastic water bottles, bring your own water container, fill up at the fountain versus constantly buying more plastic. And I just toss the plastic in, hope it doesn't end up in the landfill. Right. So that's actually a really great way I would imagine. Are you seeing that as a trend or was that just sort of like one really clever group of students figuring this out? No, but it was a great trend. We're in the process of relaunching in a lot of places now just because of the stigma of reusing something that somebody already used during COVID and wasn't sanitized properly. So now that we're past that stigma and we understand what COVID was a little more, we're relaunching in a lot of campuses. That's great. So reusable to-go containers. And how much approximately could that save? I mean, is it kind of a small item or enough to make a difference? I would say, so I'll take the one location I launched it at first earlier on in my career. We're going back maybe eight years or so. We launched it, and in year one, we used a machine to collect the containers. Each machine was about fifteen to sixteen thousand dollars. We had three machines, so you're at forty eight thousand dollars. And then the containers are about four dollars a piece. They get about three hundred and fifty uses out of it. In the first year, we saved enough in paper to more than fund the program seventy five percent. So it paid for itself in the first year. And by two months into the second year, we had saved enough spend in paper costs that the program was paid for at that point. That's fantastic. I hope more schools sort of adopt that kind of a program because really it's win-win. Well, And not even just the cost savings, but the amount we were putting almost 10,000 to-go containers into the landfill at this particular campus every week. Right. And you're also adding to the maintenance workers, yep. <laughs> you know, collect uh, garbage collection. You have to empty the trash. Right. Right. Exactly. right. So I think that's great. Are there any other ideas that you've seen at, on campus that have been really fruitful or valuable to kind of either reduce costs or help save on all of these things, the whole larger picture? There's probably too many to think about. Uh, but again, where we're most successful is letting the students tell us what they value and working from there. Our best ideas come from our student groups. And to think of a particular one, cost savings, there's a lot of technology out there now, you know, pizza ATMs and where you can have 40 or 50 pizzas in 
a vending machine that a student can walk up. It'll cook it to order, box it, and put it out for them. Can I get one of those for my house? Because (laughs) as you're speaking, this is the first time I'm hearing about a pizza ATM. And I think about how valuable that would be having two children of my own. And (laughs) six out of seven nights of the week, they asked for pizza. I gave in last night and we ordered pizza. How wonderful would it be if I could just say, go ahead to the pizza vending machine? absolutely. And there's one for everything now, right? Sally the Salad Robot, where it can hold a specific number of toppings and you choose what you want and it'll make your salad for you. And it's good food. Is it healthy? Is it fresh? Absolutely fresh. Our team would still control filling and monitoring the safety of the machine itself. So it's filled daily, hourly. It's refrigerated. So it keeps everything fresh. We would still do the processing, the cutting of the vegetables, but there's there's something for everything right now. Automatic stores, automatic C-stores yeah, have made their way into the college market where not just the self-checkout, but you can check out on your phone. Right, because I don't really want to stand in a line, right, let's you don't be honest. Stand in the line. One of our larger campuses out west has partnered with a company called iFi, and it's basically you walk in and you scan your phone on a QR code. When you walk into the store and then it creates a stick figure of you in the camera system and it knows what you took off the shelf. And when you walk out, you have a receipt on your phone in 30 seconds. I love it. And that kind of reminds me of that whole Amazon. Yep. Same experience. Okay. So those sound great, but I'm guessing that there's some upfront cost to these, right? Usually to integrate any new technology or system. Is it cost prohibitive for some maybe your smaller schools or where it just doesn't make sense for them for some other reason? Yeah, absolutely. Some of the smaller schools, it doesn't. There is absolutely any program you launch, there's going to be some upfront costs. The hope is that you're going to save it in program costs to pay for itself. So the labor, right? So if you have a pizza ATM where all you have to do is fill shoots of topping, you're not spending the time to pay somebody to make the pizza and, and therefore. And right now it's not an it's not an issue of cutting labor, it's the labor doesn't exist, right? The market is so short right now and there's so many openings in the hospitality world that we have to find we have to utilize this technology in order to still put out a product. It's not a matter of cutting jobs, so to speak. It's a matter of still getting the product out and doing what you can and being innovative to get that out. Oh, I love that. I mean, these are such creative ways to reconceptualize, really, how we go about delivering food on campuses. Do you know of any schools that are models for low waste or creative programming to reduce waste? So we talked about how to get at some of these costs, but what about just food waste? Because that's a big part of what this equation is, right? Yeah. And I should have brought up in the last question, we work with a company called Waste Watch. So what we do is in our kitchens, and it helps in the back of house, not so much the customer experience yet, but in our kitchens, we have stations where as we're prepping food, let's say we have somebody's cutting peppers, right? And they take what there is quote unquote waste and they bring it over and they weigh it and they log it. And then our team can get a report to say, okay, you processed 40 pounds of peppers, you had five pounds of waste out of that peppers. Let's take a look at it. That's a high percentage, right? So it gives us a training opportunity to go back to that employee and say, well, no, you could have processed the peppers differently or you know, you're wasting too much, things like that. So this Waste Watch program is amazing. It gives us tracking of what we're doing in back of house and then helps people, chefs much smarter than I am, really analyze and target their training based on the tracking that we're getting out of that. That sounds great. And so it does require, it sounds like some time, right? And a good system to kind of be consistent with 
managing that program. And so that would be in the kitchen side. What about for the students? Is there any sort of programming or ways that students could reduce their own waste? We have a one of our meal options is a buffet style. And I see so much just go in the garbage at the end of lunch or dinner. And so have you seen anything from the student side? Yeah. So thankfully, right, engaging students in this generation is easy because they all have a social conscience. They want to be good stewards to the environment, right? So one program we were pretty successful with and is still running just under a different name is it was a program called Campus Kitchens. And it's modified its name here in town recently. What we do, you know, the food waste that you speak of the buffet, right? As long as our team is monitoring it, it can still be used, right? Mm -hmm. It can still be reused. So we capture that. And while we can't necessarily serve it per company standards, we can cool it properly or keep it cold if it's from like a salad bar. And we can repurpose that food with this group. So we donate the food. They're able to then repackage it and help with Meals on Wheels and different food banks, depending on what those programs survive on student volunteer, right? So really getting the students involved and being part of the community, huge. But really partnering with whoever your partner may be, partnering with them and sharing ideas is really where the success comes from, right? That's where these ideas are born. It's just working collaboratively with your partner. Okay, so you had mentioned several times this idea of labor shortages being kind of one of the drivers for not only increasing costs, but also, I mean, essentially creating a hole in your services, like in what you can do. So how has the war for talent, especially in the service industry, affected Sodexo and other food service companies particularly? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? How does that really factor in? Like what what does it really do to your operations? Yeah. So, I mean, the hospitality industry has been one of the hardest hit with this post-COVID labor market, right? People don't want to do what we do anymore, it seems, right? Right. Well, we could go and throw a lot of money at it, which every company has, right, in this war. But we also want to be, we want to be the employer of choice. Choice. It's not just dollars and cents. We want to create an atmosphere where you want to come to work. You want to be part of the company. That's why I've been here 26 years, right? It's helped me with my college tuition when I was in need, disaster relief funds driven by employees. There's a whole bunch of things, right? So we, we're committed to a better employee value proposition. Now, how does that affect the service, right? Well, we talked about CPI earlier being in the seven to 8% range. Wages are closer to 20% increase. That's a real cost. Let's say a cook is making $20 an hour and we give them a 20% increase. Where does that money come from, right? Where is that $4 coming from? It's got to go into the cost of the overall program. It still takes just as many people, if not more people, because there's, well, that doesn't make sense because there's less people to do the role, right? So I need the cook that I have. I need to keep him happy, keep him or her happy. And I've got to pay them what down the street is going to pay them. And that's been the biggest challenge is right now, any employee in in our world can be without a job today and have a new job tomorrow, if that makes sense. So there's a lot of job hopping happening and chasing wages. And again, that all has to go to the end user in the end, you know, it's got to go to the student or the cost of the program. Now, some college campuses and every college is different. Every university is different, have chosen to absorb some of that and lessen the burden and use that as a, a recruitment and retention tool themselves. But some just simply can't afford it. You brought up the smaller campuses, right, that don't have the funding that some of the state schools have. It's very difficult. But the key thing is working with your partner, right, and sharing your pain points with us and letting us share ours with you and then working together to come up with the best solution. 
you retaining talent is one of those really big challenges, I think, no matter what industry, but obviously, particularly the service industry. What do you do to retain the good workers that you have? I'm just curious from uh, retaining the talent, what kinds of things do you do? Well, I mean, when we're focusing on recruiting, right, everyone, like I said, throw money at the problem, right? Increase your wages. You can't forget about those who are with you through the thick and thin of it. Make sure you're taking care of them, giving them a place that they feel they belong, right? And they're supported and a fair wage, right? If I'm raising our starting wage to 18, I've got to make sure I'm keeping that wage compression under control as well and make sure I'm still taking care of those who have been around. And I'm just picturing my own university when I walk into our campus dining services. I know several of them by first name. They're the friendliest faces. And I feel like they're part of our campus. I understand they're not technically our employees, and yet they feel like that. Does that factor into keeping your employees? I was just thinking about like the culture of an organization. Yeah, that is absolutely key. We are not Sodexo at X University. We are dining services at X University, right? We're part of the family. And certain locations do a very amazing job at celebrating life's milestones with our employees, right? Coming to our employee picnics, coming to our opening meetings, and making sure they feel like they're part of campus. In reality, dining services sees students more than probably any other department on campus, maybe outside of res life. But our employees, our team members are a very important part of a college student's experience, right? They're the mom away from home. They're the dad making sure they eat their vegetables. I had an employee who worked at X University for 60 years. She was there. And to the point where when she passed away, there was alumni coming back for the funeral from 30, 40 years ago to see how she was, to make sure they had time to say their goodbyes. They're that important uh, to the students. And making sure they feel that from the university perspective is very important. Yeah. I think it was like, they're just part of our campus. Yeah, I don't absolutely. think of them as separate from us, but that's not controllable on your end. I guess that was kind of my larger point is that you can't really control what the culture of the campus is. So you have to put other things in place to pull them in and hopefully connect them, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to, you say we can't control it, but we can to a point by being that partner with the college and with the university, right? making sure that they know that I myself want to be part of the family, right? So I want to be part of the decision-making. I want to sit at the table that's going to work on the overall health of the institution. We're part of that. Whether or not we're, our paychecks are signed by the same place, we're a part of that. And if they see that with me, then they'll see it with my team. I want to make sure that I've covered everything that is helpful to our campus leaders, especially those that work with dining services closely. Is there any other advice or recommendations that you would have for campus leaders in kind of navigating this time of increasing costs, just generally speaking, but in particular with campus services? Yeah, I would say just partner. If you work with an organization like Sodexo, make sure you're a partner in this, right? Our well-being is your well-being. If we have a program that we can't fund, the students aren't going to be happy. And it's going to make the campus's life a little more difficult. But Work alongside with us. We'll help solution. We have experts that can help get through these challenges and work with our teams to really use our global network of support to help you through the problem with COVID. And we keep coming back there. But with COVID, we had troops on the ground in Wuhan that could then help us stay ahead, right, as far as 
taking care of our people and how to plan for success, which really helped us get through. And if you talk to some of our partners, we were just ahead of the game and it was great. So really working, allowing us to bring our expertise and you bringing your expertise and work together to find the solution. There's always a solution, right? We just need to work through it, look at the data through open eyes and be willing to take risks and trial and error until we find the right solution. Kevin, as we're wrapping up here, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to share any advice. You've been working with colleges for so long, so you've seen quite a number of things. What's your best advice for college leaders to operate a viable institution? It doesn't have to be related to meal plans or dining services, but just generally speaking, what's your best advice to become, stay viable? I'd say don't be afraid to change. B, listen to your students and C, use the tools you have available, right? You have partners, not just dining services, but you have several large partners. Use their knowledge and their experience and use their knowledge and their experience to to help you figure out your product. We're not just, from a dining services perspective, we're not just here to put food out. We're here to help the university thrive and strive. Awesome, Kevin. And so where can people reach out to you if they want to hear more about Kevin or Sodexo? Where can they find you? Yeah, if you're here in Wisconsin or any of the local area, certainly email me, kevin.gilligan at sodexo.com or on any of the social media platforms, Sodexo USA is all you have to search and it'll come up. Great. We will include that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Kevin. Absolutely. Thank you. To support the cause of the affordable college experience, visit us at highlevelleadership.com. Read our blog and join our email list to get connected. Follow us and leave a positive review on your favorite podcast app. Let's get down to college business.